our study this morning is going to be the first 14 verses of Ephesians chapter 1. I invite you to follow along as I read that passage for you. <coughs> Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 1 and reading down through verse 14 of that chapter. This is God's word, and let's give careful attention to it. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, <clears throat> to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him also, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory and his blessing to the reading of his word for that. Lord God, as we begin to look at this passage in a little more detail, we do pray that you would give us insight. We pray that you would cause your Holy Spirit to enlighten our hearts and minds that we might see the truths of your word and see how they uh, apply to us in our walk before you. We pray that you would cause us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we might worship him and serve him better. We ask all of these things in the name of Christ, our Savior. There is an outline on the back of your bulletin if you'd like to follow that. Um, hopefully, I will follow it too, and uh, we'll come out together at the end. Uh, just a word or two of introduction as we begin. I'm sure that if I were to ask for a show of hands on uh, favorite books of the Bible, favorite passages in the Bible, and uh, looked around, we'd probably ones that many of you would choose as a favorite section of the Bible. Uh, Paul is writing a letter to the Ephesians, 
the Christians there in Ephesus. Uh, actually, he's probably uh, writing this letter for a broader group than that. Uh, there are some uh, who debate whether this letter was actually addressed to the Ephesians. Some of the earlier manuscripts don't have that uh, designation in the first verses here. But uh, it seems likely uh, from the uh, acceptance of the early church and, and various uh, considerations that this, this letter to the Ephesians uh, is indeed a letter to the Ephesians, but one that was probably shared with a number of the other churches in Asia Minor there, as was Colossians and some of the others. It's uh, very possible that this letter may have been written and sent at the same time as the letters of Colossians and Philemon. Remember the history of that, I trust. Um, Paul was sending um, a former slave, Onesimus. Uh, he'd been a runaway slave. He ran away from his master, Philemon, and uh, somehow came in contact with Paul and over the course of time became a believer. And so Paul is saying, you need to go back and get right with your master, your former master. But he sends a very interesting letter to Philemon. And if you haven't read that recently, I'd encourage you to do it. it it's interesting in a number of ways because uh, uh, Paul is urging this Christian believer, Philemon, to accept back his former slave who ran away, who is now a believer also. And Paul says, by the way, if he owes you anything, I'll take care of it. Uh, oh, by the way, you owe me quite a bit too. And uh, so it, it's just a very interesting letter if you haven't read it recently. I'd encourage you to do that again. But uh, if, if, this, if these two letters were in fact written at the same time, it's only natural that um, the two carrying the letters, Tychicus and Onesimus, would have gone through Ephesus on their way to Colossae where Philemon was. And so it's, it's I think, entirely probable that this letter uh, was written at that same time and that it is indeed a letter to the Ephesians but to be shared with all of those. In uh, so Paul is assuring the Ephesian believers, uh, both the Jews but especially I think the Gentiles, that they've been richly blessed by Christ and that they're brothers and sisters together. There's, there's not a division between the Jews and the Gentiles that should exist any longer. And so Paul reflects on and rejoices on the rich work of our triune God in election, redemption, sanctification, and he rejoices in this. And he's sharing with them how he faithfully prays for them. Uh, this letter begins with, uh, with this introduction of uh, verses 1 and 2, and then uh, we have a doxology essentially that's following that down through verse 14 which happens to be one long sentence in the Greek. And then he turns to prayer. And beginning with verse 15 and following, uh, for about a chapter and a half, he, he's praying for these Christians in Ephesus, and he records what that prayer is. And then it's not until after he does all of that that he begins to give them some exit they should be doing as believers. Uh, e. Martin Lloyd-Jones has, I think, a very good summary of all of this when he said, all these blessings that we enjoy become ours because we are joined to Christ. We can therefore claim that 
what has happened to Christ has happened to us. This is the marvel of the mystery of our salvation. The Son of God came down from heaven to earth. He took upon himself human nature. He joined human nature unto himself. He shared human, human nature. And as the result of his work, we humans, beings, can share his life and are in him and are participators, participants in all the benefits that can. And so um, that, I think, is a, a summary of, of what the letter is all about. Uh, I'd like us to think, first of all, a little bit about the description that Paul gives to these believers as he writes to them. They're called faithful saints. And uh, it's, it's a very specific description. Um, they're called saints. They're called faithful. And by the way, there's a third. But first of all, they're called saints. And we need to stop on that for just a moment or two because of the, the great distortion that uh, the Roman Catholic Church has placed upon the idea of who uh, their view is that the, the idea of being called a saint is a, a very special thing that's only available to those uh, few who are so spectacular in the evidence of their faith and their, their piety that the church singles them out and places their imprint on them, if you will, that these are saints. So you can talk about St. Augustine or you can talk about St. Thomas. But that's that's what saints are. Well, um, anyone who is a believer is a saint. That's what the scripture says. That's why Paul can write to these Christians in the church in Ephesus or in the church in Colossae or in the church in Philippi or any of the churches that he would write to or that he would come in contact with the New Testament in the New Testament and call them saints because that's Saint, in its root meaning, is the idea of holiness. Uh, it's the idea of being set apart. To sanctify means to set something apart for a special place. And every believer has been set apart as a special chosen. And it also has the idea of holy. And we in our natural state, of course, are not holy, but because of the work of Christ and and his holiness, the righteousness of Christ, is our righteousness. As, as uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones was saying in, in his summary, whatever Christ did, whatever Christ experienced, whoever Christ is, is applied to us, believers, because of our relationship to Christ, and more on that as well. So any true Christian is a saint, and any saint must also be, it says they are saints, they're faithful saints. They're, they're saints who are living and walking faithfully before the Lord in their experience here. Uh, John Stott points out that this word for faith or faithfulness uh, can have an active and a passive meaning. It can mean being faithful or, or having faith. It, both of those ideas, I think, are encompassed in the way Paul is is using 
this word faithful. So these believers in Ephesus are faithful saints. They're saints who are faithful. But there's one more. Did you catch it as we were reading the scripture? Look at Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 14 again. I'm going to read it fairly slowly for you because I want you to notice different expressions that apply to the believers. The first is they're in him. Is they're in Christ. And in one expression, throughout this whole 14 verses, you'll see in him, in Christ, in the beloved, over and over again. And it's describing the saints and their relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen to it. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He pressed, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, when he set, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who worked all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, I was emphasizing simply in Christ, in him, and in the beloved, but there are other expressions through there that refer to Christ and their relationship to Christ as well. Uh, by my count, the expression in Christ is used four times in those few verses. The expression in him is used six times, and the expression to the beloved one time. A total of 11 references in 14 verses to our uh, Pretty impressive, impressive, it seems to me, about that. And so these saints are faithful in Christ. That's a description of who Paul is writing to. But as you might have guessed from the title that I used, I want us to think more now about the rich blessings that Christ, but not only in him. I trust you noticed that as well as we were reading verses. We've just noted how throughout the whole session we see the special emphasis 
on how Christ is really the foundation of all of our rich blessings that we receive from God. In fact, some of those verses, it's a little hard to describe or, or to determine whether uh, it's specifically talking about something that God has done or something that Christ has done. Uh, I'm using the term God as Father at that point. The term God applies to the Trinity as well, and we'll see more of that in just a few moments. But um, Christ is foundational to all of our rich blessings from God, and Paul chooses to focus more particularly on some specific aspects of these blessings as they're related to God the Father. God, uh, the Reformation Study Bible, which some of you may use, has a notation in it regarding these verses, and uh, it points out that, quote, this is one long sentence in Greek. This is an expansion of the condensed praise of God's purpose found in Romans 8, 2830. Praise goes to the Father who elects, verses 4 through 6, to the Son who redeems, verses 7 through 12, and the Spirit who seals, verses 14. Paul reflects on believers' election from eternity, their forgiveness in the present, and their inheritance in the future. Key throughout is the repetition of the phrases in Christ or in him, referring to the intimate union God has established between Christ and his people in um, the Reformation Study Bible. So these verses that we're looking at now, particularly verses 3 and following, uh, they're a doxology. As was noted there, it's one long sentence, in, in the, but uh, we see it broken up in our English translations and each translation may have some variations in it, but essentially it's the, it's the same uh, breakup in, this, in each one. So I want us to note now in uh, a little more detail how each person of the Godhead is especially involved. In but um, before we get into that explicitly, I want us to do a question. How often do we really bless and praise God for his, mercy, for his grace and mercy. Uh, I know we do it in the singing of our praise especially, but in your prayers, do you, do you make a special effort in um, give blessing and thankfulness to the grace and mercy that God has awards us? By the way, just a, a side footnote here. Uh, we, most of our churches, not certainly, we often use the Lord's Prayer of a, a repetition uh, at, the, at, the at the beginning of the service of uh, kind of the closing part of the opening prayer. But, um, I, did, I didn't used to do that that much. But what I want to point out is, while I don't think there's anything improper in doing that, I'm not convinced that's really what, I think what he really intended us to do. begin to pray, you saying, Lord, provide the things that you need. And as you pray, focus on praises for a little bit and expand your prayer in that way. So in your prayers, we need to be doing that. I know that I fail completely, often make an effort, uh, or when you write a letter to someone else. Well, Paul is doing that in this letter. He's telling these Christians in Ephesus that their triune God 
had done wonderful things for them, and he calls them rich blessings. So let's think about that a little bit more. They're called spiritual blessings. They're called heavenly blessings. Um, they're spiritual, I think, because uh, they, they are received by us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, uh, certainly. But uh, they're spiritual in the sense that they apply to our spiritual life as well, a very particular way. But interestingly enough, they're also called heavenly. Paul, in writing to the Ephesians, mentions the ideas in Philippians, we're told. And so I think part of, of what's involved here is that these blessings are blessings that come to us in effect from heaven, where God exists, even though he's everywhere present. Uh, he's described as being in heaven. Jesus is described as being at the right hand of God in his physical presence. And Christ was raised from the dead and seated in heaven, we're told. And here in, in Ephesians, we're, we're told that we also are to be raised up and seated with him in heaven. So... Um, we're citizens of heaven, and the blessings that we're talking about are blessings that are spiritual and heavenly. Well, let's think about this from a triune God for minutes. The blessings that we have from God, God the Father. Verses 4, 5, and 6 especially. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, even though he chose us, in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to be he, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us. Uh, Paul, as he talks about these different blessings, doesn't list for us uh, theologically, every aspect of our um, manner of salvation, if you will. But he chooses certain ones and, and focuses on them particularly. And this first one that we want to think about is that, that God the Father, uh, even before the foundation of the world, that's before creation, that God the Father chose us. And theologically, we call that election. But God set his love upon us is another translation that you'll find throughout the scripture. When, when it says that God knew us before the foundation of the world, that know is, is the, the word that conveys the intimate love between a husband and wife. It's, it's the, the knowledge that is personal. It's the knowledge that is focused on, on the individual and so before the foundation of the world, Paul says God chose us. He set his love upon us. But he chose us to be holy, and he chose us to be blameless. Well, how can we? We can't, of course. But we are holy, and we are blameless in Christ. Because all of those in him, in Christ, because of our relationship with Christ, because of our union with Christ, we are holy because of Christ's holiness. We are righteous because of Christ's righteousness. And this electing love took place before the foundation. Uh, Paul also says he predestined us. 
not a lot of difference between election and predestination, except one is the choice and one is carrying it out. I guess we could say it that way. Uh, this is the love, in effect, um, being uh, carried out. And uh, you probably noticed as I was reading the, the last part of verse 4, it's just another evidence of the fact that versification is not always uh, correct in, in our translations. Uh, when they did the versification, that's the way they, they broke it out. But really, in love goes with the next phrase. In love, he predestinates. And so that, that's uh, his predestination is because of his love. And it's because he set his love upon us. His choice is made certain. And we have a sure salvation. And it will be accomplished as we see in the machine. But, but it goes on to say that he also adopted us. And that's a wonderful thing for us to uh, realize and uh, do a whole study on adoption. When a, when a child is adopted into a family, he, he's no longer an outsider. He's no longer someone else's kid. He's um, that family's child. And so when it talks about God adopting us, we're brought into his very family. We're no longer strangers and pilgrims outside. We can call him dad. He's our, our father. And, and we, we have to be careful that we don't become too casual and too flippant in love. And I think one of the hardest things for many non-believers to understand and grasp is how can God be a God is not like that. I didn't have a terrible thing. I'm talking about the believer saying, you know, my father was no good. I don't think of God as being like that. But he is our father. We are his sons. And because of that, we can call him father. And also we can call Jesus. And the scripture describes how we are fellow Christ. But in all of this, God also has made us accepted in the beloved. It's all to the praise of his glorious grace. And we're blessed in the beloved one. That's Christ. We're accepted as a part of God's family. So blessings that we receive from God the Father. Let's think also for just a moment or two about blessings that we receive from God the Son as well. Verses 7 on down through verse 12. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our, our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So we have blessings from God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who does the work of redemption. We talk about the, the councils of eternity when God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are uh, engaging in conversation 
about the world and and what's going to take the world. And as we as we saw a moment ago, God particularly chose those that would be people. He set his love on them. He predestined them. But it's Christ who said, I will go. And so Christ is the one who who brings about our redemption. And we need to remember that Christ's redemption involved more than his death on the cross. It involved his whole earthly life of obedience. For he lived a life of obedience that that there was no sin in him. Nothing that he did contrary to the will and purpose of God. And because of his obedient and perfect life, when he died on the cross, he could save as our sacrifice, like Christ could make that kind of a sacrifice. And so through the blood of Christ, as he dies for us, our sins or our trespasses are forgiven. They're, they're covered over. I like the imagery that we have in the Old Testament of the, um, uh, of the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. Inside the mercy seat, or under the mercy seat, inside the ark, was the table of the law. And the law condemns us. This. You did do this. You didn't do that. You did do that. And all of the various things where we break the law of God, as as we so often pray in our prayers, we acknowledge that we sin. We're, we're sinful creatures. That's That's our nature. But it's not just our nature. It's our behavior. Too. And we need to realize and, and remember that when we confess our sins, we're not just confessing that we're guilty because Adam was that we're guilty because Adam was guilty and because in the sins that I commit caused me to be guilty as well. And so um, <clears throat> our sins are covered over. Back to that illustration, the Ark of the Covenant has the table of the law written there, and God is is over all of this. You see the imagery if you read the description of, of the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant and so forth. The, the presence of God, the, the Jews called it the Shekinah glory, was over all of that in the Holy of Holies. So as God would look down, he would see the condemnation, and God couldn't get past it. But, but God saw the blood and didn't go on because the blood of the sacrifice covers over our sins. And that's the way it is with the blood of Christ. Because of Christ's sacrificial death, my sins, my trespasses. Uh, beyond that, Christ enables us, he makes known to us the mystery of his will and the purposes. Of, so, we, so we begin to know something about God's will for us. Incidentally, if you read some of the prayers of Paul, I'm thinking particularly of in the first chapter of Colossians, you'll see that one of the things that Paul prays for, prays for for those Christians in Colossae is that they might have the knowledge of God's will, that they might gain in knowing God's purpose. But the one that I especially like also because of Christ's redemption is that we are then united with him. We are in him as we noticed in reading through the passage. We are in Christ. And by the way, if every Christian is in Christ, we can't be in union with Christ and disunion with 
and be pleasing God. So part of our union with Christ is a call for unity among the brothers, unity among Christians. We're also going to obtain an inheritance, and a little more about that in a few moments as well. So we're enabled to hope in Christ, in him. And we are to be to the praise of his glory. So again, we're back to the the Spirit. And let's think for just a few moments about the Holy Spirit as well, Spirit. The word used for seal here, it says we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We're sealed with this promise that we have the Holy Spirit. That word that is used there is a word that conveys the idea of uh, what we would call a down payment. Can that happen to the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is our guarantee. He's, he's our, our, our sure certainty that what God has promised is going to happen because he's living in us and working in us. So the Holy Spirit cannot be lost, cannot be forfeited, and therefore the Holy Spirit guarantee of this inheritance that we're talking about. And the inheritance is uh, our our total relationship with Christ and our final inheritance as we go to be with him in eternity. So the Holy Spirit, because of the seal of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit, and key of the Holy Spirit, we can know that we will inquire, we will acquire our and it's all to the praise of his Spirit. Just a few words in conclusion. I think that as believers, we're sometimes unaware of how rich our blessings have blessed us. And we, instead of living like rich saints, we live paupers. I came across an illustration that I'd never come across before. And it's the story of a lady by the name of Petty Green, who was known as the Witch of Wall, Wall Street back in the Gilded Age when New York City but this rich woman lived like a pauper. She was miserly to the... And so she uh, she heated her tea water and just a miser. She lived as if she had none at all. Well, that's not a real good illustration, but take note of and then give praise to God. Let's take time to pray. Our Father in heaven, as we continue our time with you this day, we give you praise and thanksgiving for your word. We pray that you would help us, that we might uh, learn to give praise to others as we uh, remember the way in which you have sent us and knowledge of those blessings versus word. We pray that you would follow with your blessing and application of your word in our own heart this day. We pray it all in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.